Before turning with me to Judges uh, 13, uh, I want you to look back at Ephesians chapter 5, the passage that we just uh, read earlier. Again, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I've got to be honest with you, I have um, always felt a little convicted when reading this verse in particular. How can I love my wife as Christ loved the church? I'm incapable of doing so. Christ's love for his church, his bride, is the greatest and the strongest love ever evidenced. And let me for a minute speak to you and me as husbands, you gentlemen here tonight. We're incapable of even coming near equaling his love for his chosen bride. But the love of Christ for her is the model that we must strive to obtain. And I know this much, none of us as husbands are in danger of loving our wives too much. And here we're not only given our duty as husbands, but we're given the measure of our duty, even as Christ loved the church. How much did he love his church? So much that he gave himself for it. He gave himself to die to redeem her. And as husbands, we're to imitate Christ in this respect. We're not only to toil in our support for our wives. We're not only to provide for our wives' needs, but we should be ready to die to save her. That's what Christ did. He laid down his life for his church. That's what he came to do. And he came down from heaven to do so. And if an earthly husband had the spirit of self-denial like the Lord Jesus had, there would be absolutely no sacrifice too great for our wives or others. Our Lord said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And look down at verse 29 here again in Ephesians 5. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And to truly understand this verse, we must receive some revelation as to what Paul is talking about here in verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, in God's union of marriage, husband and wife are really one flesh. And verse 30 says, for we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Our union with Christ makes us his body, his flesh, and his bones. And our union with Christ makes us one with him. And the Lord loves His people so much that He laid down His life for them. 
And as I said, a believing husband strives to love his wife the same way. Now, naturally speaking, we uh, <laughs> nourish, nourish and cherish our bodies. We eat, we, we sleep, we try to get the required amount of sleep. We go to the doctor when we're sick. It's a natural thing for us to take care of ourselves. But this is showing us something of Christ's love for His body, His flesh, His bones, His church. That's what this is talking about. Those that He came in the world to save and to die for. His first priority is for them, as ours should be for our wives. The beauty of loving and nourishing and Cherishing our wives and others is seen in those words, even as the Lord, the church. What a high standard we're given. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How wonderful to know that the Lord nourishes and cherishes us even more than we nourish and cherish ourselves. And I love to think about that. And this is our motivation for nourishing and cherishing one another. Verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And that's what we have pictured before us tonight. We have a, a great picture of Christ and His bride, the church. So, Turn with me first to Judges chapter 13 and look at verse 24. The name Samson is synonymous with strength. I suppose ever since I was a young boy, when I heard the name Samson, immediately my mind went to the, the strength, the power that that man had. You hear the name Samson and you immediately think of a strong man. We shouldn't be at all surprised that the name Samson means little son, S-U-N, or like the sun. The sun is the major source of energy in our universe and for our planet. According to scientists I read this week that the sun produces 44 quadrillion watts of power. Now, I don't know how much that is. It's a lot. But in comparison, a large electric plant produces about a billion. So in other words, it would take 44 million power plants to equal the energy coming from the sun alone. No wonder Samson's name, Little Sun, is synonymous for strength and power. But it's very important for us to understand where this power of Samson and the son, for that matter, came from. Mm -hmm. It was not within Samson himself, just as the power of the son is not. It came from the one who created the son. And every star of power in the universe was created by him. It came from the spirit of the Lord. Speaking of Samson in the Verse uh, 25 here in chapter 13, we read, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaal. The, the powerful 
feats of Samson, everyone give reference to the source being the Spirit of God. It was nothing within Samson. That's the point I want to make. It was not his hair. wasn't the length of his hair. Uh, yes, he was a Nazarite. He was not to cut his hair. It wasn't his abstaining, abstaining from from a strong drink. Yes, he was a Nazarite and was commanded not to partake of alcohol. What was the source of his strength? The Spirit of the Lord. Uh, the Lord, what a picture this is of Christ our Lord who created the sun, the moon, the stars, and all things. The Lord had to become a man to redeem man. Had to become a man to redeem men and women. And all that our Lord did upon earth was due to the same Spirit being upon Him that was upon Samson. It's the same Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson as God purposed as was needed. But the Spirit of God was upon the Lord Jesus Christ without measure. And that's what John meant when he wrote, For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He gave it to him without measure. Yet our Lord made himself of no reputation. He that was God made himself to be Nothing but a servant. He took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There was nothing that we saw in the Lord that would impress us, naturally speaking. And being found as a, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, that is mind-boggling when you think about it. God not only condescended, God Almighty, the Creator of all things, not only condescended to become a man, but He humbled Himself even more to become a servant unto men. And a servant unto the very law that He Himself gave. And He kept that law perfectly, and He went to the cross as one who offended the law in our room instead, even becoming obedient unto death, the death of the cross. Now you talking about a condescension. <laughs> That's one. The Lord Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't endeavoring to steal or to strip the glory, power, and strength of God for Himself. No, friends, that's what self-glorying men do. Jesus Christ was God. He didn't um, count it robbery to be equal with God because He was. He came to magnify His heavenly Father. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And God gave Samson the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit when he needed it. But God gave the Lord Jesus Christ the Spirit continuously, without measure, without limit, and without ceasing. He's God incarnate. That's why I get a bit frustrated when I hear men talk about the Lord Jesus as some kind of inferior man, some, you know, less than a man. The pictures we have of him picture him as effeminate and no, no. Uh, he's a God man, powerful. Amen full of strength, full of power, God incarnate. He's able to deliver His people.
people from their enemy. As the God-man, Christ was given power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as God gave Him. Now that's our Savior. He's not trying to save. He's not want to save. He's not wringing His hands and heaven wanting somebody to love Him. No. Only God can give spiritual eternal life and that power was given to Christ. Now look at uh, chapter 14. Look at verse 5. We're told here in Judges 14 verse 5, then went Samson down, went down, pay attention to that, and his father and his mother to Timnoth, and came to the vineyards of Timnoth, and behold, a young lion roared against him. Look at verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him, speaking of that young lion, as he would have rent a kid, a, a small goat. And he had nothing in his hand, no weapon. Just took that line and just ripped him in two with his bare hands. But it wasn't his strength within. It was the Spirit of God that did it. What a picture of Christ's power in destroying the works of the devil. Satan, who as a roaring lion seeks whom he may devour. But John tells us that it was for the purpose that the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. That's what that's picturing, Samson in that line. Uh, turn over, look at uh, Judges chapter 15, verse 14. Here we find Samson bound with cords. And we're told in verse 14, And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms, now these weren't little shoestrings. These were heavy ropes. When they, the, the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. And his bands loosed from off his hands and he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And the jawbone of an ass pictures the beast of burden, which is the gospel preacher who by the means of preaching the burden of the word of the Lord saves those who believe in Christ Jesus. It's by the means of preaching. That's what that jawbone pictures. Through the jawbones of stubborn mules. <laughs> That's what we are. Preachers are them. They're called asses. That's somewhat appropriate. That God saves them who believe. In Judges chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, it was no doubt by the Spirit of God that Samson took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and took them away, bar and all. Now, I, I, what, what an amazing sight that must have been. Samson put all that weight upon his shoulders and he carried it all to the top of the hill. What's that showing us? This picture is how the Lord Jesus Christ took the weight of all the sins of all His people throughout all time and carried them to Mount Calvary and where He put them away forever. Our Lord tore down the gates of hell, that they could never prevail against the gospel. The gospel is the rock upon which the church is built. 
And the church is built upon Christ, the rock. And nothing can prevail against it because Jesus Christ is God. And even in His final act of deliverance over in Judges 16, verse 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Only this once, O God. Even then, he's calling upon the Spirit of God. And he said, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. As you know, they put his eyes out. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, upon which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And I can't help but to think the Lord in his death has performed a miraculous work of judgment against all who opposed Him and His gospel. And at the same time, all the people, uh, all His people died with Him and rose with Him and they're now seated with Him in heavenly places. He redeemed His people and His redeemed people are now unto God a sweet-smelling savor of Christ. And in them that perish, they're unto God a savor of death unto death, but it's not said to be a sweet savor. It's said to be a savor of death unto death. The death of God's people is a sweet smelling savor. Yes, God doesn't find any pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't know why folks think that. They think because someone believes that God is in control, that God's sovereign, that God saves whom He wills, has mercy on whom He wills, and yet hardens whom He wills that God somehow finds pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's not so. God said, I don't find any pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. But if they don't, they're going to die. And the law of God demands it, and the justice of God requires it. And that's why Paul said, who is he that condemneth? You see, if it's Christ that died... Yea, that rose again. Who's going to condemn one that Christ died for? Who's going to charge Christ's bride with sin? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. If God justifies a sinner, friends, that sinner is justified. That sinner is made righteous. That sinner is righteous because God made him so in Christ. Christ gave himself for the church. And he did, what did he do? He made them holy without spot, without blemish or any such thing. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, God was right. God was just to pardon those found in him. He paid the debt in full. God accepted His sacrifice. You and I, in Christ, have no sin. Yet God also, because of His strict justice, has the right and He is required to punish the wicked. 
doesn't find any pleasure in it. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination of the Lord. We've looked at that many times. So when the Lord pardons those who are innocent by the righteous and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone in, in that day of judgment is going to claim, Amen, so be it. And when the Lord condemns and judges all who rejected Christ, all who would not have Him to rule over them, the same ones are going to also say, Amen. So be it. Why? Because the Lord had done all things well. Being holy, just, and right, He can by no means clear the guilty or condemn the innocent. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? Those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. We don't answer to the law. Christ fulfilled it for us. And for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, that being our flesh, we could never keep the law in order to, to satisfy God's justice. It was weak through our flesh. So what did God do? God sent His own Son into the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. We've got a clear slate if we're in Him. I like that. But to those who have not bowed to Christ, He'll never... He, he, he will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They said, haven't we done this? And haven't we done that? We've done many good works. He said, it's all iniquity. Ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. And friends, it'll be right and just for him to condemn them. No doubt that Samson is a type and picture of the Lord Jesus. Let, let's uh, look further here at Judges chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and his mother and he said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife? of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. As I read these words, I couldn't help but to to think about our Lord and Savior. Samson went down to Timnah. He saw a woman in Timnah. She was a daughter of the Philistines. He went down. Christ came down. Didn't He? Yes, He did. He came down. The name Timnah here means two things in particular. It means portion and a point. Timnah was the place appointed where Samson found a wife 
that pleased him. She was to be his portion. <laughs> Samson had to go down to find her. And it was there that he would make her his bride. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 12 says, And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. Deuteronomy 32, 9 says, says, for the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53, the Lord's people are called His portion who would be very pleasing to Him. And it would be in them that Christ would take great delight pouring out His soul unto death, being numbered with them. And we see here in verse 2, Samson went to his father and his mother and he told them of this woman among the Philistines and he asked them to get her for him. And isn't that what Christ did for his bride? In verse 3, Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Samson chose her because she pleased him. Samson taking a wife among the Philistines is a wonderful, wonderful picture of Christ taking a bride among the likes of you and I. <laughs> Samson's parents didn't respond favorably. They desired him to choose a wife from his own people. But the Lord Jesus came unto his own people and they received him not, the Jewish nation. They would not have him to rule over them as their husband. They hated him without a cause, we're told. They would not submit to him. And their condemnation was that light came into the world and they loved darkness rather than light. Now Samson's parents didn't approve, but God the Father purposed for His Son to come into the world and to seek and to save wretched sinners among the Gentiles. And I'm so glad He did or you and I would never be saved. That's what we are. We're, we're Gentiles. We're Philistines, so to speak. Were Samson's parents being unreasonable? Reasonable? No. His choice of a bride was among the enemies of Israel. Samson's bride was precisely like the bride of Christ. We were enemies of God. Carnal minds, enmity, hostile toward God. But yet, our heavenly husband was pleased with us. Christ chose and brought His church that was pleasing to Him in times past, being Gentiles in the flesh, being without Christ, wanting no part of Him. Aliens, we're told, from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens. Strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, those who were far off were made nigh by the blood of the one who came to make them his. Our Lord came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was pleased with a Philistine woman. <laughs> and he wanted to make her his. Wife and the Lord Jesus Christ did. What was it about this Philistine woman that pleased Samson? Well, we're given a hint in verse 7. It says that he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. The bride of Christ called his sheep. They hear his voice and they follow him. 
And we have sweet communion with the Lord, our heavenly husband. Their love for him is due by his love for them. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We didn't choose Christ to be our heavenly husband. He chose us to be his bride. As wretched as we were, as unpleasing as we were. You've not chosen me, our Lord said, but I've chosen you and I ordained you. I made you mine. I did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. I made you holy. I made you without spot. I made you without (laughs) blemish. I am going to present you to myself as a glorious bride. Christ did it all. Humanly speaking, this Philistine woman would prove to be an unfavorable choice. She betrays Samson for fear of her life. And what a picture here we have of our fallen nature. Um, Unless the Lord keep us, we too will betray our Lord for fear of our life. Uh, Peter denied the Lord three times for fear of his life. And we're never given room, are we, to glory in our actions. I love that about the Scriptures. It always puts us in our proper place. God never hides the faults and the sins of His people throughout the Scriptures. Whether it be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lot, all scoundrels, David, David saw a woman he desired to make her his. What a picture of man's love for a woman and Christ's love for His church. But he committed adultery with her and had her husband killed. God doesn't hide that from us in the Scriptures. What a picture of our fallen nature. By nature, we like Gomer are unfaithful harlots. Our redemption's purchased at the slave block by our Hosea who loved us and gave himself for us. The Philistine woman pictures you and I. And the truth of the matter is this. This is the bride that God chose for Samson. And the believer is the bride that God chose for Christ. As wretched as they are. Aren't you glad Christ came into the world to save sinners? Aren't you glad that God chose a Philistine Gentile to be Christ's bride? God told Hosea, He said, you go take your wife among whoredoms. Go love a woman who will prove to be an adulteress. A woman who loves other gods and and flagons of wine. But in the end, Hosea redeemed her and he said, you shall no longer play the harlot. And you'll be not for another man. You're mine. You're going to be mine. And that's what Christ did for us. I'll be your husband forever, he said. Isn't this a wonderful message? Isn't this a wonderful Gospel? Isn't He a wonderful Savior? Is that not what Christ has done for us? What about Boaz and Ruth? 
Ruth was a Moabite. But in the end, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, was a man in love. And, and Naomi knew it. You remember what she said? She told Ruth, she said, sit still, my daughter. Oh, if we could just learn to sit still. He said, sit, she said, sit still, my daughter. For the man, speaking of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, will not be in rest until he has finished the thing. You're my redemption this day. He's not going to rest till he's made you his. <laughs> and the Lord didn't rest until he made us his. Jacob loved Rachel so much that he worked another seven years to make her his bride. This is love. This is love. Samson saw a woman in Timnoth, and he went down to her. Christ loved his bride so much that he willingly vacated his throne and he came into the world to save his bride. What a condescension this was. That word Philistine means immigrant. I thought that was interesting. God had forbidden Israel from taking wives from seven different nations, but the Philistines weren't one of them. Though they were outside of the nation of Israel, and though they were enemies against Israel, and though they were now in dominion over Israel, they weren't one of the nations that Israel was forbidden to marry. And here we have a picture of how the Lord Jesus went outside of Israel to make sojourners, immigrants, strangers, uh, from the covenants of promise, from the commonwealth of Israel, his people, his church, and his bride. The Philistines were transient people who had no permanent home. Is it not the same with us? This isn't our home. We're just passing through. We're soldiering through this life. And like those who died in faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you and I are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Like Abraham, we sojourn. For that, and look for that city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. We're just passing through. We're, we're looking for something much better. We're thinking about what our Lord said when He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and where I be, where I'll be, you'll be also. Why? Because I've taken you to be my wife, and I'm going to be your husband forever. Well, look at verse 4 here and I'll finish up. But his father and his mother, Samson's parents, knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And how this reminds us that God is always working all things together for His people's good. Now, we cannot know how God will particularly meet the ends that He's appointed. That's not our business. But we do know that He's working all things together for our good. Yes, sir. We're told that much. Romans 8.28, we know the verse well. But will we ever learn, friends, that we're not analysts or judges like Manoah and his wife? We, we would have stopped Samson if we could have, but they couldn't. It was the purpose of God for him to take this Philistine bride. We're simply observers of God's sovereign providence. 
To rightly understand this would alleviate a great deal of anxiety for us in this world. <laughs> We're always trying to figure out what God's doing. I can tell you this much, He's doing whatsoever He will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And I'll tell you something else. Whatever He's doing is good. It's good for His people and it's his, for His glory. So it has to be good. And we, what if this and what if that and what if this and what if that? Stop it. Don't do it. God's in control. God's taking care of things just as they ought to be taken care of. And in the end, it's going to be for the good of His wife. Good for His bride. God's never vacated His throne. He's always sovereignly ruled. He's never been caught off guard. He's never been perplexed. Can you imagine God sitting on His throne? He that created the heavens and the earth, scratching His head going, what am I going to do next? Not even when man sinned. They didn't take God by surprise. When Adam sinned, God didn't go to plan B. That's the way men preach the fall, man. Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God doesn't need any backup plans. We look around us in this world and many of us fear. Has God left us to ourselves? No. And He never will. That would be something to fear if He had, but the children of God never need to fear that. He, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what He said. He's sovereignly and powerfully doing His will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand. People talk today like God can be put in handcuffs. Oh, you snare, you, you know, you're snared by the words of your mouth. Don't say that. You, you tie God's hands. I like to see you try. None can alter His purpose. None can question what He's doing. He's working all things after the counsel of His own will. All things are working together according to His sovereign purpose and for the good of His people. And listen, I am not fearful of what man can do to me. I'm not. He can only do what God permits him to do. I am not fearful of what Satan can do to me. I'm no match for Satan. I'm not going to stand up and take authority over Satan and command Satan and do this and do that. I'm not going to do it. But I'm going to tell you this. Satan can't do any more to me than what God will allow him to do. And whatever God allows him to do, it's for my good. I will not fear them which can kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. But I am going to fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And yet, this is the same one who has betrothed me unto himself. The same one who, as we said earlier, loves us as his own body. He's the one who presents us to himself a glorious bride, a glorious church, having no spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. And he makes us holy and without blemish, without sin. Why? Because we're flesh of his flesh and bone of His bone, and He's out to do us good. What a great mystery this is. That's what Paul said there in Ephesians 5. It's a mystery of godliness. It's without controversy. 
God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Believed on in the world and received up in the glory. And His words to us were, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into Myself. That where I am, there you may be also. By God's grace, I believe Him. I do. I know you do too. I believe Him. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and for Christ's sake.